0: Welcome to the Paidea Education Podcast. I'm Dr. Bernie Wilkinson. And I'm Dr. Richard Marshall. And today's podcast is entitled, Unintended Consequences. Yet more unintended consequences of high-stakes testing. That's right. Um, This week, we we found an article written um, in the Houston Chronicle that we wanted to, that sort of fueled some of our uh, ideas and thoughts and Richard's uh, blood pressure. Um, so that we can talk a little bit more about some of these things. You know, I think it's just this time of year. This this time of year, all of this stuff comes out because what is Monday? Monday Monday is the opening of test season. The
1: opening of test season. Testing season here in Florida, at least in uh, in Pennsylvania, we'd be uh, near the opening of trout season uh, in the in, in the spring of the year. But I think it's a little bit different now. We are at the beginning of test season. I think
0: test season and trout season are two very very, very different, very different things. situations.
1: And every time this test season rolls around, um, my blood pressure goes up and my concern <laughs> for America's children goes up. So that's, that's right. <laughs> yes. We talked about the, As you said, we have talked about this issue before, but um, it is an, it is a vitally important issue and one that we are going to continue to harp on and bang away at because what is happening in our public schools today across the country is unconscionable and should stop as soon as possible. We're going to talk Man, about that again this morning. You
0: just started it right out at the beginning. Boom. Boom. You hit it right at the start.
1: Right. Um,
0: well, you know, I, I think that um, one thing I want to mention first off, but before we get really going is that uh, we, were, we were talking about this a few minutes ago, and so I wanted to throw this on the podcast just, um, just because I, I would love to hear what some people think. And that was uh, last night on the, uh, I was listening to some of the, the Republican presidential debates. And um so who I, I wanna know who supports Common Core? Because um most of the candidates last night were talking about getting rid of it. And so I'm just wondering
1: who Who supports Common who, who, Core? Who, who supports Common Core. I have no idea. Yeah, it's I, but well everybody does. These 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 things Common Core like high stakes testing sort of make their way into um, or onto the political radar screen, and then they then they stay there. You know, they're not being questioned, um, and they just sort of get traction, and they become the law of the land, uh, yeah. whether they should be or not. Um, yeah. Some articles refer to this high stakes testing as being both sinister and stupid, um, and yet it remains. You know, it started in two thousand and one. What are we? Two thousand and sixteen. We know it doesn't work. We know it's not getting us anything. We know we're spending now trillions, not the. Bill- trillions of dollars on to, for high-stakes testing over a 15-year period. It's accomplished absolutely nothing, and yet it won't go away. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I just find it interesting because it seems like so many
0: of the candidates and people who, you know, are in those positions of, of power are, are are talking against it, and yet it's, as you said, the law of the land. It, it's what's really um, being being pushed and, and sort of forced upon us. And one of the things um, uh, Donald Trump said last night was that um, his his int- expectation was to, uh, now he talked about, of course, getting rid of um, Common Core completely and said that it should go down to a local level, that, that local school districts should decide what the expectations are and, and the... Um, the standards and everything for, for the, for the students, for the educational standards. And, and, you know, while I I, th- I don't know that that's the, completely the answer, it certainly um, has the potential of moving us in the right direction. And not, not that I'm a, not that I'm, nominating or <laughs> supporting Donald Trump for that no I wasn't doing that. what I was just saying is is that um, that was a that was a sensible statement I well think, to some I think, extent
1: I think the sensibility the the, the, the accuracy the um, common sense notion that he was raising um, with Common Core is we have in our country today this effort to na- number one nationalize um, education. Right. And while it would be okay to have a national, st- some sort of national standard, I don't, I don't think anybody maybe disagrees with that, but all of these efforts, uh, Common Core, high stakes testing, No Child Left Behind, Race to the Top, um, all of these efforts are attempts to um, have a single standard. Right. And you can't have a single standard in education because education is. Learning, education is a human endeavor. And every human endeavor um, ends up being e- distributed across a normal curve. Right. right. Where some, most of us are in the middle, a few excel, and a few uh, fail. Okay? Right. But, but every human, shoe size, head size, body weight, um, athletic ability, and educational ability, distribute themselves across a normal curve and the longer kids are in school the more different they become they're they're most alike at kindergarten right every year after kindergarten kids become more different and yet all these things like common core high stakes testing are efforts to push kids into a into a single um, measurement system it, it simply doesn't work you don't do that with education education is not business it's not it it's completely different than the business model and so you can't say this is the standard and that i think was what trump trump was raising last night is that, that common core tries to tries to say every kid in the country will be working on this on this day right it's not going to happen right. I, I don't care How much we say we want Common Core, it is not going to happen because every student in the country is not going to be working on the same skill on the same day. It just won't. It just can't.
0: It's the same thing from No Child Left Behind that said that every child will read at a third grade level. That's just not sound science, if if we think about it, simply from a scientific perspective. And and in episode five of, of this podcast, we talked about, you know, that... That is those are sound aspirations. It's great. It's a great idea. It's a great theory to say, hey let's get everybody on the same page so that if student moves from Florida to Nevada, they can pick up and it's the same book and it's the same they're in right. the same place. But,
1: but that's just, it's just not realistic. It, it cannot happen. The, these are human characteristics, and every human characteristic distributes itself along a normal curve. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we're right. going today. So, um, so let's tell get us, back to this article. So let's tell, t- tell us a little bit about this article, Richard. Okay. We, we entitled this podcast, um, Yet Another Unintended Consequence. Um, and what struck us about this article is that this was written by a college professor... Because he is now teaching the students who have been the products of high stakes testing. You and I are both college professors. Right. Uh, and I have to say, I never really gave this much thought right. that after 15 years of No Child Left Behind, now these students are in college. Right. All right. And so the, the title of, of the um, article that he wrote was Taught to Pass Tests. They don't know how to read books, right? And the the, and what he's saying in this article is that although children have become very good at passing um, multiple choice tests, they have lost the ability to read and especially to appreciate um, novels that are read at a much deeper level than answering a multiple choice than than is required when you answer a multiple choice test. Right. I, I think that this this calls back to our, um,
0: this is one of those situations, I think, where our, the two podcasts that we do overlap a little bit. Because in last week's, uh, the Mental Breakdown podcast, we talked about um, critical thinking. And we talked about, um, you know, being uh, a, a cognitive dissonance and, and, and those kinds of issues. And, and I think this is maybe what this instructor, this this the, the author of the, the article and what some of the, what we'll be talking about today what he's saying is is that students are looking for a right answer that's right they're not, they're not looking to think they're not looking to be creative they're not looking to think critically they're just looking for what is the right answer and, and when we when we read material when we absorb information with the idea that there's a right and then everything else is wrong, uh, that really narrows our appreciation of what we're trying to to learn right
1: right I I remember when my children were still in elementary and middle school they had a reading series and they would have these homework assignments where they had to read literature and it was good literature Mm -hmm. good literature uh, in their in their reading books Um, it was world-class literature uh, written by world-class authors serious stuff Mm -hmm. But then at the end, they had to answer these multiple-choice questions, and there was only one right answer. Right. And I would sit there and work with them, and sometimes I would get the wrong answer. Right. Uh, And I I don't know how you would reason through to get the right answer. If an adult, if a literate adult can't get the, quote, right answer, how in the world can an 8- or 9- or 10-year-old kid work through that? Right. But the whole idea is you have to read this to get a right answer which is completely antithetical to what reading should be which is it should be expansive it should be divergent and instead we've made it convergent right and, and in this you know I've, i think i've mentioned it before
0: i'm not sure if on the podcast but certainly Richard when you and i talk you know my daughter who who's now a senior in high school right she she loves to read you know it, anytime i catch her just doing something um, you know that's non, uh, non not directly related to a class or something. It's usually reading um, or watching YouTube, one or the other. Right. Um, but she, despite the fact that she loves to read, she hated AR, accelerated reading, because she says, I don't want
1: to read because I have to take a test. That's right. I want to read because I enjoy reading. Right. And I want to and, talk to somebody about what I'm reading, and I right. want to discuss it, and I want it to expand my world a little bit. Instead, we narrow it to a right answer on a multiple-choice test. Right, and, we're not, and, and when we talk about
0: right answers, we're not talking about, you know, on what road did uh, Harry Potter live on right. uh, when he was living with the Dursleys. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, um, you know, what was Harry what motivators did Harry call upon to you know, defeat Voldemort? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Well, it, there's a lot of interpretation to that, right. you know, whether it's um, emotions, whether it's you know, saving his friends. Well, and, and you're right, when we, when we narrow everything down to a multiple choice um, test, we remove all of the interpretation. And, and again, this is what the author in this article was talking about. We take away all of the ability to interpret. Um, I remember when I was in a high school, I, I, you know, I was, um, some people were going to, are going to really not like that I'm going to say this, but um, I, would, I feel like I was almost traumatized by trying to read the book, uh, A Tale of Two Cities. Mm-hmm. That first page, I, I spent, oh, why? Because, because I was, at, at the time, I was a very um, concrete um, analytical thinker. Um, I was very much you more like math science, and science based. You yes. like
1: math and science,
0: and so for something to say, uh, it was the best of times; it was the worst of times. Th- Just that first, I'm like, ambiguous. was too ambiguous. What are they talking about? Was it the about? best or was it the worst? Come on! I want the right answer. How can it be both? Right. Um, and it took me some time to get to it, um, and and so now and of, and now of course we even use that that entire passage in our we book. Did. We did uh, because. It, it, you know, but it's that, that level of interpretation that we want our students to get to. And, and again, admittedly, I had difficulty with it when I was at that age. And, and I couldn't imagine it. and, and thankfully, you know, it, it, that was at a time when my, inf- my knowledge of it wasn't <laughs> restricted to a, a multiple choice test. Mm-hmm. But today it is, right. And, and I couldn't you know, when I sit back and I, I think about that that experience, I don't know what I would have done if I would have had a true-false test or a multiple-choice test that said, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what did the author mean by that opening passage, Mm -hmm. A, B, C, or D? Right. You know, I could have picked, who knows what I would have, I probably would have chosen two opposites. All of the above. I I would have chosen two opposites because that's all he said, was that
1: everything was, you know, one way or the other way. And yet we have a whole generation of students who have been brought up Doing exactly that. Exactly. Right. So this this um, article that we were talking about in the Houston Chronicle was written by Robert Zaretsky. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Robert Zaretsky. He happens to be a teacher at the University of Houston. He teaches literacy, uh, literature right. at the University of Houston. And it, what he was what he was saying in this article is that we have created this um, cl- this group of students, this generation of students. And what he says is they can. He said, "I can read it." What his students say What his students say to him is, "I can read it. I just don't get it." In other right. words, yes, they can read the words in the novel, but they really don't understand the novel because their whole education has been based on getting the right answer rather than reading deeply and thinking while they're reading, okay? And what all this comes from, what what he says in the article is that we we are reaping the benefits of this strategy, and by this strategy... He means the testing strategy. Right. Because what happened in 2001, 15 years ago, so if you take a student 15 years ago, a five year old is now 20 years old. Right. So the first students who were introduced to No Child Left Behind are now 20 year old college students in his classes. Right. And he's saying, now I'm, I now, we college professors are now dealing with these students who have been um, raised on this get the right answer mentality. Right. And so yes they they know how to read but they don't appreciate reading and they don't read deeply. They don't really understand novels, okay? Right.
0: And there's a, there's been a lot of talk about how this and, and I think that this is directly related to what he's talking about in the article is that there's been a lot of discussion about how this mentality, this this educational approach really takes away creativity and, and that sort of Freedom of thinking from um, from learning, and and so uh, you're absolutely right. And I think I think we we mentioned it and, and wrote about it in, in a previous column uh, in the Ledger that um, when we when we're taking away when, when we think about just writing writing a paragraph, any child that you talk to today, any school age kid that you talk to today, will say there is a formula. That's right. Just like there's an algebraic formula for. Uh, figuring out the slope of an angle um, there is a uh, there there is a formula for writing a paragraph Mm -hmm. and if as long as you follow that formula
1: right
0: you'll do okay you're going to do okay you'll be fine Mm -hmm. and so you know what what one of the I think unintended consequences of this is you know not only can kids you know they can read the words but they don't understand what the words say they can't express themselves in a meaningful
1: right. way. Because what they've been taught how to do is to dig for the right answer. Right. Uh, that, that somebody out there has the right answer. Right. right? And w- Which is really the opposite of, of what should be happening in education, which should be more expansive. Right. Um, and I'm gonna return to, com- remind me before we leave this topic, i want to make one more comment about, well, no, I'll make it right now. Okay. What Common Core does is it wants to move you just in the opposite direction correct now we're gonna make everything very expansive okay which is good but I think what's happening is the pendulum is swinging now in the opposite direction where we're gonna have everybody uh, being as divergent as creative as possible but in the process we're gonna lose what uh, we're gonna lose the multiplication tables well
0: and and I think that they're not allowed to
1: memorize anything
0: yeah but I think that an issue with that too is you know from what I've seen and from what we've read about uh, about Common Core, is that even though it, it tries to move in that direction, um, it tries to move in that direction in a very structured, structured, systematic way. Right. So it's yeah. like, let me teach you the steps of being creative. It's like, wait a minute, that sort of works against right. the idea of being
1: creative. And when we're done, you're going to take this test. Right. So even though Common Core purports to be creative, expansive, divergent. In fact, we still have these stupid, sinister, and I mean both words, and I'm quoting, um, high-stakes test at the end. So we're still creating the same kind of student who's after the right answer. Right. Yeah. Now we're going to get there... Supposedly in a more creative way. But now we have a national policy that says every kid is going to be at this level on March 10th. Right. But we still have these high stakes tests in place. OK. So what Zaretsky says in this article is among its many catastrophic consequences has been its impact. on. And what he means by its many catastrophic what it is this um, accountability. Uh, through high stakes testing, right. and that's really what he's yeah. he's taking to task. What he's what he's criticizing here is that we have this system of testing students and of holding everybody accountable. And he said one of the results of the, one of the results of this is that we are we are losing uh, student literacy. We're giving up. We're relinquishing. Um, we're sacrificing uh, literacy for the sake of accuracy. Um, on high-stakes tests. Right. Um, he doesn't think it's a good trade, and, and we agree with him. We don't think it is either. Right. Um, but the, the issue here is this whole accountability issue. And it's interesting. What I, what I found particularly appealing about this article is that it appeared in the Houston Chronicle. Uh, why is that appealing to me? Well, back in the 1990s, when George Bush was governor of Texas, um, the superintendent of the Houston Public Schools, his name was Ron Page, P-A-I-G-E, um, uh, developed this um, testing system and said that we are really doing well in Houston. And so uh, George Bush assigned a um, uh, Dallas uh, school board member uh, by the name of, of Sandy Cress. Um, and Cress and Page uh, put together what came to be known as the Texas Miracle. And the Texas Miracle was, if you test kids, and you reward high-performing schools, and you humiliate low-performing schools, that everybody will be motivated. Teachers, principals, students, and parents will all. Be motivated to increase achievement, and we will close the gap between the highest-performing students and the low-performing students. Now, I'll take it that they didn't use the words "humiliate."
0: They probably said that they
1: will just motivate. <laughs> well, the, well, if you have good, high test scores, we but will what, that, we will provide an incentive to yeah, you. Yeah,
0: that's right. They use these um, five-dollar words. Right. But what they were really saying is, is we're going to reward the schools that are doing well, right. and
1: we're going to make the other schools feel really bad, right? Because because we're not going to reward you. we're
0: not going to reward them.
1: Um, we're going to punish them. That's we're going to, we're going to humiliate them um, if they're not doing well. So that will cause. Everybody to be motivated. The teachers will be more motivated to teach. The principals will, will goad the teachers into teaching better. The students and their parents will have this personal investment in doing well because the school will get rewarded. And Page and Houston and Cress in Dallas um, did this with a test called the Texas Assessment of Academic Skills, T-A-A-S, and they showed over supposedly showed in the first um, half of the 1990s, that um, student test scores got higher and higher and higher for everybody. Well, that sounded wonderful, that we now had a solution, and so to the achievement gap. The mm-hmm. achievement gap is how the best students do compared to how the poorest students do. So this was a solution. All we had to do was test and hold everybody accountable. As it turns out, this was in Houston, Houston, Texas. So when Governor Bush became President Bush, uh, he had Sandy Cress meet with Ted Kennedy to get bipartisan support for what came to be known as No Child Left Behind. Because it sounded like such a good idea and that this is how we're gonna close the achievement gap. So in 2001, No Child Left Behind became the law of the land. And the rest is history because now we have in place a national policy where every state has to develop these tests and um, kids will take these tests. And based on their performance, we will reward students, teachers, principals, school district and states based on this single test. And that became the model. That's what happened starting in 2001. Every state began to move in that direction. Well, and so... Because this this podcast is is all about the
0: unintended consequences, the reason that I think it's important that we're we're bringing this up again, because we in, in previous podcasts we've spent a lot of time talking about that history, but the reason that I think it's important that we bring it up again here is because that perspective, the, the perspective of you know we will get all all schools um, performing at this level by forcing all students to be performing at this level. We have created a paradigm where the expectations, even down to the student, is is really unreasonable. Right. I, I, you know, what is the default grade that everybody? The default grade right now is an A. That's right. That is what is expected of most students. Just like you know, the, in the Texas Miracle and, and in these uh, policies that we've created, we're working under. And I'll use the word delusion. We, we're working under the delusion that every student can perform at this particular level, and if they're not, it's because either the teacher's not doing their job, the principal's not doing their job, or the or the you know the student. We, but though we're not really looking at the student, you know, there's no reward for the student except mm-hmm. for maybe the avoidance of retention. Um, somebody's not doing their job because the the underlying principle is that everybody should be able to perform at this high level. That's right. And and, and the reality is, just as you were saying earlier with the normal curve, that's just not, statistically, that is not reality. There's no way that that can happen. That's
1: right, because the other thing that seeped into our consciousness with this um, testing is is the notion that all children will be proficient by a certain age or by a certain grade. Right. Everybody in education, from uh, kindergarten teachers to PhD professors, everybody knows that that can't happen. Right. Okay. And and despite that knowledge, despite knowing that it's not possible, what seeped into our consciousness is that everybody could no child left behind, every student ready for school and or ready for college and career. These aspirational and they're wonderful. They're wonderful aspirational goals, but they are aspirational. They're not realistic. We've talked about that in previous podcasts. Not all students can, and not all students should get an A, but. A, but with this notion that everybody will do well, that everybody will get an A, that everybody will succeed, that everybody will be proficient, the aspirational goal became the the real goal, right. the, the actual goal. Um, and it simply isn't possible. I right. mean, 25% of children are going to read below grade level. Right. So, so if we
0: think about, you know, that's... That was the model created in these in these policies and so if we take that down to a, a classroom level right we have students you know where again the expectation is is that there's always a right answer right and so we don't have we have a have created a, a lack of flexibility, okay. a, a rigidity in the way that they think about, how their grades should be, how they should be performing, and, and that if they can tick off these boxes, then they should get an a that's right. and and the the concern and we were talking about this in prep the, the concern is is that while that's not uh, appropriate and that doesn't happen in our classes that we teach you know right. we, we give a full range of grades in our class because you know, again, the reality is is that the class and and again, using the words that these policies use, the course should be rigorous enough where you get a full spectrum of, right. of performance. Now, I'm not saying that so many people should fail, because if you're doing your work and you're you're participating, you should you should be able to get meet meet some of the expectations at least average,
1: right? Um, especially at the graduate level. And yet we have we have policies in place in schools throughout the country that are based on the assumption that every student if she, he he or she works hard enough can get an A. Right. That simply isn't possible. It Unless shouldn't the be possible. standard is so low right. that that the lowest performing student can get an A. Right. Well, that yeah. means that the other 90% of the students in the class already know the material. So, yes, they'll get an A. Right. You cannot have a policy where every student gets an A. It's just not possible. Right. And and, and
0: you know the the discussion that we had in in prep, yeah. and I think is a really good discussion that you know we that we're probably going to continue to talk even when the microphone's off is so when you have these students who say are average average students and let's remember that the average grade is a C should be a c the average grade should be a c that if students make score average right even though they're average their ability to compete with other students completely disappears. Right. Because it it, it it baffles me when students come in and we talk about grades and we talk about what your GPA is, and on a 4.0 scale, they have a 4.8 or 5.1. I had a student okay. with a 5.1. Did you really? Yeah. So what that means is this student is taking college,
1: AP, okay. and honors courses and right. getting A's in those classes. Right. and so. Well, we've had to push the ceiling up. You know, right. if everybody gets an A, then we have to have something in place to say this student is doing better than other students. Exactly. Okay? So what we've done is we've raised the ceiling by giving extra points for college honors, uh, honors AP, and uh, dual enrollment. Right. Like, college classes. Right. So, so what that means is, is that the typical student, an average
0: student who, if he or she so chooses, should be able to go to college, now doesn't compete well enough for scholarships and for college uh, placements because, you know, they have, uh, you could have a 3.2 GPA, Mm -hmm. which is still an AB GPA, right? Right. a a GPA suggesting A's and B's, Mm -hmm. but that could still be too low low. to get into a college because they they have you know a couple thousand students with right. gpas of over 4.0 right. applying right
1: because what 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 we're doing here we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves but what what where we're headed is that when you begin to develop an educational system based on right and wrong answers right. okay you you develop this mindset that it is possible for everybody to be at this level. Whether, whether and if you're not, you're you're defective. Right, right. Whether it's high stakes testing that says every child, uh, no child left behind, every child should succeed, or whether it's Common Core, which said every child will be at this level at this time. When you when you introduce that notion of there's somehow this ability to make everything equal. You develop this notion that every child can get an A. I've been in schools where they where they really they they have policies in place that say yes, we believe that every child can get an A. Right. These are these are professional educators who said yes. Every, well, every child can't get an A. Right. Every child shouldn't be expected to get an A, and if every child does get an A, but we have introduced this mentality. With high-stakes testing, with no child left behind, with this notion that if teachers are really doing a good job, there will be no underachieving students. Right. Once again, think of the normal curve. Because once you set a standard, only 66% of all humans are going to be at that standard. Right. A certain percentage are going to be above it, and a certain percentage are going to be below it. It doesn't matter what the standard is. And it doesn't matter how hard you push those. And it doesn't matter how hard you work. I mean, right. it doesn't matter how hard I work. I'm gonna have a limit as to what I can do. Right. I mean, there are only so many hours in the day. And if I study for twenty-four hours a day, I'm only capable of learning so much. Other people are capable of learning more in the same amount of time. And some people are capable of learning less in the same amount of time. Right. There's only so much time. And 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 and, and it's
0: you know, if you can't if you can't jump over a bar, That's four feet high, right? There's no reason to raise it to six foot because you're not going to jump over a six foot bar. And and, in in education, for some reason, that's what we keep doing. Well, these these classes, these schools aren't doing so well. We're going to raise the standards a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna make it a little bit more quote unquote Mm -hmm. rigorous. And they they couldn't. They were they were struggling before. Mm -hmm. What makes us think that by raising the standards and and increasing the expectations that they're going to perform any better?
1: That's it's it's um, insanity, really. Well, and, and the extension, and I'm going to switch, shift gears just a little bit here. The extension of this notion of a right answer, which will get you a reward. So it's, it's this system that says, if you get the right answer, you'll get a reward, has led to, gradually over time, has led to this notion that if I tell my students exactly what they have to do to get an A, and if they do those things, that they will get an A, right? And, and that has crept into educational policymaking, right at every level, including the college level. And so now we have what are called rubrics. Yes. And a rubric is a, uh, a list of criteria a list of obligations, a list of requirements, that if you do these things, you will get an A. So that a student enters the classroom and says, okay, I know exactly what I have to do for an A. I will do those things, and I will get an A. It's a very recipe-like uh, formula type of... of right. uh, which I think is, is a natural extension of this notion of uh, you get the right answer. Okay. Right. The, the goal is get the right answer. Tell me what I have to do. I will do that. And then I want an A for doing that. So um, it's like a participation trophy. You know, if I, if I come to practice and I come to the games, I get a trophy. Right. I don't have to excel. I don't have to win. I just have to participate. So... Um, and that's what's happening in education today. So we give students rubrics, and all they have to do, because everybody's after the right answer. Just tell me what I need to do, and I'll do that. Because
0: the right answer leads to an A, Because and that's the, right the
1: goal. Ad- That's right. Because.
0: And, and what's disappointing, I think, is that, that while, while that... I, I, I think that there are some students who need... A rubric. There are some students who need to know. Okay, these are the expectations because they have a difficult time organizing their thoughts and organizing their their work and things like that. But when when we remain so rigid about them, that not only is this a a, a digital organizer for how to approach this this task, which is what mm-hmm. I think that it should be. Um, we're using it as the grading tool, as the measurement tool, and, and when we do that, what happens is that students who may otherwise be very creative, <laughs> who may be able to produce work that goes not just to what the rubric wants, but far beyond that. That's right. They don't what is their now. motivation? They don't have
1: to now. All they right. have to do is
0: do do this much work. Exactly. Right. And, and and you know, I know students, one of which who lives in my home, um, who says. Um, I, it wasn't a very good paper. I didn't. I didn't do a really good job writing it. But you know, I. I it meets the rubric. I met so, the rubric, so I got so an A. I'll get an A. Right. Yeah. It's and, and it, it's disappointing as an educator. It's right. disappointing because I know that these students are capable of so much more. Right. But what is the motivation for it? Once again, we're. we're you know, like you said earlier, if you know, if the expectation is that the curriculum or or the the expectation is that everybody's going to get an A, right. then there's going to be a large group of students who, they're going to get an
1: A really without putting forth as much effort. And, you know, what, what's what's wrong with the system that says, as your profet- as your teacher, I want you to do the best work you can do. Right. When you, when you do this paper, I want you to do the best work that you can do. Then I take that paper and I look at it and I say to this person, okay, you have done the best work that you can do. This is the grade that I'm assigning to that. Right. Okay? That's my right as your professor. One way or another, I'm going to assign the grade, whether right. I have a rubric or not. So I say to you, if this is your best work, it's very, very, very well done. Right. If this is your best work, it's okay. It's, it's, it's not superior. It's not uh, the sky didn't open, the angels didn't sing, but it's very good work. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not superior work. What's wrong with a system like that? What we're asking our students to do is not... What we should be asking our students to do is not meet the rubric. Do the best work you can do. And then you and I together can make you better. And and, and that, I think, is where it falls apart.
0: Because the expectation now is that the test... Is the finality? That's right. Not That's the, the end. Right. And, and once we have the grade, everything else ends. Right. We don't need to do anything else after that. And, and you know, as educators, what we know is is that testing is a form of assessment that should inform mm-hmm. where we go next. Right. And so, if you do, if you have exactly that situation, and it, hey, obvi- you know, I can tell you put in good work. You know, you can read that in a, in a person's product. That's right. that's you, right. I can tell you, you worked hard on this. You, you have great resources. You know, um, I'm gonna. This is this. Overall, though, this is a C. Mm-hmm. For the next for the next product that you're going to create, right. these are the things that if you if you improve here, if you if you that's do right. this there, that's going to get you up. To, that's how assessments become informative right. for the educational process. Right now, and, and I know that a lot of other people have been writing about this, what happens right now is most of the tests that we use, that's it. They, they, they don't provide any information for education. It doesn't provide any information for what we need to do to get the student where they need to be. That's right. It's just this is what the score is. Um, we go this direction or that direction, that's it. Right. Either
1: you get an A or you don't, and right. that's it. In our, in our business, when I say in our business, in the business of education, we have two kinds of assessment. There's a formative assessment and a summative assessment. Mm-hmm. A summative assessment would be the final exam. Right. That's the last test that you take to see how much material you've learned or how much material you've mastered. It's given not, It's given to see how much you've mastered. Along the way, we give what are called formative assessments. And a formative assessment is very different. A formative assessment says, okay, this is what you know, and this is now what you need to learn. Right. So you've learned this much. This is what you have to do to improve. We should be doing formative assessments. The problem with high-stakes testing is it's all summative. Right. We're not giving formative assessments. We're giving summative assessments. And we give the summative assessment in February. Right. The school year ends in June. Right. Well, if you've already taken the last test in February, what do you do in March, April, and May? Right. That's that's another unintended consequence of high-stakes testing. Right. But again, what's driving the system? What's driving the system is the test. Right. Okay? Right. And and, and I think that as
0: as more time passes, what we're going to find is more
1: and more of these hidden... Unintended consequences. That's right. That's right. Because now we're seeing it go all the way up to the college level. Here's another unintended consequence. And this came out in the Texas Miracle. The Texas Miracle was that um, high school students were really improving their test scores. That was one of the things. Right. Houston and Dallas said, wow, our high school students are really, really improving. Well, one of the reasons the high school uh, test scores improved so much is because the dropout rates... We're increasing, (laughs) okay? And so out of, um, I have a number here. Um, Out of uh, something like 12,000 entering students, 5,000 graduated. So you had 12,000 ninth graders, 5,000 graduated. So the 5,000 were the ones who succeeded. They were the ones who were passing all the tests. They did great. So yeah, their scores are higher because you take away the 7,000 who quit because they knew they couldn't pass the... um, they knew they couldn't pass the 10th grade test. Okay. Right. So that was another um, um, untruth. I don't... A lie. I'll call it an untruth. That's what politicians call it. They call it untruth. Call it untruth. I misspoke. I, I, I would call it just misleading. No, I was... I, I misspoke. And so... Um, no, actually, you lied. Okay, but it's okay. I misspoke. So what they did is they said... They said, our, 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 um, our test scores are really going up. Well, they were going up because you were only testing right. a, a percentage of the kids. So an unintended consequence is you drove up the dropout rates. Right. But you were lying about the numbers. Right. And that was another untruth about the Texas Miracle is, that, yeah, the test scores were going up, but not because education was increasing. Because once again, the kids should be more different in high school than they were in elementary school. Right. In fact, they looked like they were the same. In fact, they were because it was only the high-achieving students who stayed in school, those who could pass the 10th grade test. Right, right. I, I think one of the take-home messages
0: that, that we would like listeners to, to have today is, is, is the fact that as, as humans, as um, the, the learning creatures that we are, um, we are designed... Um, because of just the way that nature works we are designed to be very heterogeneous and and what we mean by that is that we are all very different Um, you know some of us are really good at math others of us are really good at um, reading others are really good at thinking about things creatively and in this way and others are creative in that way and so we're we're all very very different in you know, again, the, these unintended consequences are are there because we are creating policies that, that work from the perspective that we're all the same and that we should all perform the same and that we should all learn the same. And, and there is nothing, as Richard said earlier, there is nothing anywhere scientifically that supports that, not in education research, not in biological research, nowhere is it ever suggested that we are all, we all learn and do the same. So, you know, that's why I say that we're probably going to continue to find more and more of these um, unintended consequences because as we continue to have a system where we expect everyone to fit into that cookie cutter Mm we're going to find more and more ways in which
1: it just doesn't right. hold. Right. Um, that's right. And, you know, we we, uh, we mentioned this article being in the Houston Chronicle. Uh, one of the things, one of the points we made was that this whole business of high-stakes testing and No Child Left Behind came out of what was supposed to be these um, huge... Um, improvements that were made in these um, Texas schools, uh, particularly Houston and Dallas, referred to as the Texas miracle. We know now that there was no Texas miracle. Uh, We know that the data were fudged, um, that there were some untruths um, and uh, some manipulation of data that made it look better than it was. It then became a national policy. And over the last 15 years, we've learned that that policy is not working well. Well, curiously, in the state of Texas today where this movement was really born in the state of Texas today beginning in the around 2000 between 2006 starting with uh, uh, Rick Perry the current uh, uh, the, the past governor of Texas um, this became a campaign issue this whole idea of high stakes testing because by 2006 um, and 2009 those years um, Texas educators including a large number of superintendents were beginning to question the wisdom and the utility and the value of these high-stakes tests and they right. said they're just not working right however by that point I mentioned two names earlier one was Ron page he became the Secretary of Education he had been superintendent of Houston schools um, he was picked to be Secretary of Education in the first Bush administration to make this miracle happen across the country the miracle of course didn't never happened um, in fact things got Markedly worse. Um, the other person was was Sandy Cress. Well, Sandy Cress um, was from Dallas, and he was going to do the Dallas miracle. Um, he also was brought to Washington. He now is a consultant for one of our large um, testing companies, one of the companies that has been um, uh, selected to develop, uh, build the high stakes tests. Hmm. Okay, and um, as it turns out, um, these tests continue to be used. And this one testing company just got a 468 million dollar contract to develop and administer the test. Now these are tests that teachers are not allowed to see, that nobody knows what the content is, they're not allowed to they can teach how to teach the test, they can teach how to take the test, but nobody knows the content, nobody knows the scoring, except the test companies. there is a little bit about follow the money here that I think we also need to be aware of. $468 million is a chunk of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a large amount of money. We have now spent trillions of dollars um, nationally over the last 15 years uh, developing tests. In Texas, for example, a student has to take, to get out of high school, just to get out of high school, a student has to take 15 tests. Well, some company is building, administering, scoring those tests. There's a large amount of money at stake. Right. So the, the people who who started this testing movement now are the consultants for the test companies. And so this thing continues. We thought during the Obama administration that there would be a reduction in testing. But in fact, Arnie Duncan, who became Obama's Secretary of Education, continued the high-stakes testing program. Um, so there, there is some... Financial gain here—that—that—that that, that somebody's making a lot of money, and and there are a couple of test companies who are making very large amounts of money. Um, so so there there's also that whole issue. But I think that the day of the high stakes test um, should be coming to an end. Um, it's one of the things that we um, hope. If you're a parent please believe me it doesn't it doesn't work everybody knows that it doesn't work but it's but it's become a a favorite of politicians um when a politician you see it during these um debates and you see it during an election year where politicians talk about we have to be tough we got to be tough. we got we got to hold our schools accountable Schools have always been held accountable um they don't they don't need high stakes testing to be accountable the, what is in place doesn't work despite what we're being told well i i think and
0: i think that there's i think they're just good talking points because there when when anybody point. hears you say you know well we need to hold people accountable well of course we i mean there's no disagreement with that mm-hmm. but and you know every kid should be reading. Well, nobody's going to disagree with that. Sure, everybody should be reading. Right. But but at the same time, we have to look at what reality is mm-hmm. and we have to look at what we know in science and what we know in biology that, you know, the reality is, is that some people won't. Some people won't read. That's right. Um, it's just as plain and simple as that. And, and, and by... Well, I'm not gonna get into the developmental stuff that we talked about last week because um I talked to the parent of a a kindergartner this week and um <laughs> a five paragraph essay in kindergarten. Um so chew on that just a little bit. That just I, I, I about fell out of my seat. So um but 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 that's our answer. Our answer is, you know, earlier and faster. You know, just, just make them learn it faster, uh, make, it, make them learn it earlier, um, because, you know, there is no such thing as developmental appropriateness. There is no such thing as diversity. There is no such thing as heterogeneity. Uh, every kid is the same, and if we just make them do it, then they'll do it, and everything will be just fine. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that, I, there, there's relatively little that frustrates me more than, than that perspective, because it's just so
1: um, ill-informed. Yeah, I think our elected officials um, need to stop telling the lie that high-stakes testing is a way to hold people accountable. Well, that is a lie. It's just simply not true. And this whole idea that you can hold schools accountable. Edu- I'm going I'm to say something controversial, though. And, and that is that
0: some of those politicians are informed by educators. We know that there are some people who are at the state level who are experts in education? Right. Who are who are fostering these perspectives? Who are saying, "Hey, well, you know, if we did this, if we did that, if we added this test, if we added that test, this expectation, that expectation, we'll, we'll get more results." And, and I think that um, I, I think that that I think that's the first time we've we, I, I've mentioned that here on the podcast because we usually we usually you know it's usually we look at the politicians making the decisions, but I, I think that. You know, if we're going to, as you said a moment ago, follow the money, what we're going to find is is that there there are some people who are influential that that are seen as education experts that do say some of these things, um, despite the fact that the research doesn't support it. They do say those things, and then when you look at look at some of the financial gains, mm-hmm. you, you see large grants and large large monies going to to support research for these topics and issues, and, um, you know, so there, there has to be some connection there. And when we kind of teased it last week that we really need to do a podcast um, just called uh, The Education Conspiracy um, and, and kind of get into some of this a little bit, the, the nepotism and the um, mm-hmm. just... Uh, patting each other's wallets so that
1: um, some of these policies and, and things will get get through. Yeah, we really do. Because in Texas, you know, we talk about Texas. I, I talk about Texas because, well, I was there for seven years, so I do know what I'm talking about. Um, I was there when this whole thing started. Um, it your fault? It probably, probably was my fault. Um, but, you know, <laughs> while Texas was touting its gains, while Texas was saying that we have this miracle... Um, A subsequent study done by a researcher from the University of Texas um, a few years ago, said that while the politicians and the pundits were saying we have a miracle going here in Texas, in fact, Texas was losing ground. Right, They, they had increased their dropout rates. They were losing 70,000 students a year were dropping out of um, Texas public schools. Um, and when you look at their scores on, on a national test, like the National Assessment of Educational Progress or the ITBS, when you compare... Texas students to other students, they were, in fact, losing ground. Yeah. So so it, 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 it doesn't work. Uh, the time has come to stop a policy that no longer works. If we were doing this with health care, it, it, it would have been over a long time ago. It's a failed policy, and everybody's afraid to stop the failed policy. Because um, of uh, because it it sounds like a it sounds intuitively appealing to say well we have to hold people accountable um, this is not the way to do it um, accountability is not the issue this is not holding anybody accountable for anything this is punishing large numbers of children and it has not made education better in fact it's narrowed education to the point where it's become sort of a meaningless numbers measurement game right. you know diane Ravitch said that that uh, what was intended no child left behind was was intended to increase the performance of all children and she said what it what it came down to in the end was measure and then reward and punish right that doesn't improve education and, and that's that's still what we're doing we are measuring and we're rewarding and punish our children our school children are going to face this all through February and in the end people are going to be rewarded and punished for a system that gives us nothing and simply punishes a lot of people right so right. it's time to put an end to it right and, and and we're going to continue to see
0: the 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 fallout the unintended consequences of this for for years to come That's right. um as, as these students um you know finish high school and get into college and you know who knows
1: what happens from there right. you know graduate school and Professional right. lives and and yeah. everything. So no child left behind is no longer with us, but um, high stakes testing remains. Remains. Um, why it endures? It endures. It endures despite all logic, despite all sense, despite all the research. It endures. Um, I, I hope that we don't do the same thing with with um, other parts of of our lives, like medical care, where you have a bogus treatment but you keep using it. You right. know, we wouldn't tolerate that. Right.
0: So I, I you know. So maybe we'll, we'll we'll prepare for a podcast on on some of this controversial side, and we'll we'll yeah. we'll wear our um, tinfoil helmets. Um, tinfoil, yeah, aluminum foil, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that the uh, so that the the um, stealth bombers and stuff that could fly overhead won't, and the drones won't be able to get into our
1: brains. He's talking about conspiracy theories yeah. again. It's yeah. not really conspiracy. It's just well, it, it, some people see it as conspiracy theory. I don't know why.
0: It, so leaves, we'll, we'll, it leaves me speechless. <laughs> I like doing that to him. So, um,
1: so yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll think about that for next week. Um, but we, we want to hear from you guys. I was going to say, okay. if you got to let us know what you think about this. We've got to put a stop to it. I don't know whether it's going to take another Boston Tea Party or what. But we got to throw the tests into Boston Harbor. You, you want to be a tea party?
0: Mm, uh, no. so
1: I don't want to be a tea party but I think we need to have a new Boston tea party get all these tests throw them into the bay and let's let's do this properly We know how to do it we've done it we, we did we do it very very well as we've said before on the show people from around the world want to come here to be part of our educational system okay we're doing something right, uh, right. It, testing isn't part of it Maybe we'll throw it into a retention pond so it doesn't um, so it doesn't pollute the
0: the ocean. Um, so you know, and one of the things I, I was going to say, you know, you, you mentioned that we wanted to hear from listeners. Not only do we want to hear from listeners, but if you if you are a teacher, uh, principal, um, a parent, uh, a stu- a student, right? Um, if you want to if you want to come on and and oh, yeah. talk with us and um, be on the program, we would love to hear from you. Um, you know, I, I was looking back at some of our previous podcasts because um, this is number ten uh, for Paedia, and, and I was looking back, and you know, we had Dr. Bradshaw on uh, early on in this process, and um, which was which was wonderful. Um, but it's we, we love to hear from other people, and we would love to be able to share your perspective with with the other listeners and, and other people um, out there. So I would love to have it,
1: a principal. Or an administrator, yeah, come on the show, and we want your opinion. A former superintendent, former superintendents, uh, that would be great. Uh,
0: we would love to have you on the program. So if if you have any interest, um, and, and we don't have to do it at six thirty in the morning, no,
1: we'll um, do it whenever it's convenient for you. Because what
0: we could do is we could we could record it and, and put it out there and um, and, and just get it up on iTunes. But but yeah, if you if you have any interest, um, and just. Get, reach out to us. Let us know. Um, reach out to us on um, Facebook at the Facebook uh, dot com slash Paedia. P a e d e i a. Yeah, just reach out to us. We'll, we'll, we'd love to have you love on. Love to have you. Love right. to hear your perspective. We'd love to have a, a little forum here where um, other people are able to talk and share their experiences because I think that that's how that's how we're all going to learn and, and figure this right. stuff out. So yep.
1: let's let's uh, let's turn this. Um Turn this into policy. Turn it into effective action. Okay. Absolutely. So love to hear from you. All right. So I think that's it for today. Um, until
0: next week. I'm Dr. Bernie. I'm Dr. Richard. You I, have a good weekend. Absolutely. Have a great weekend and uh, good luck on uh, the opening of testing season. <laughs>